Truth News Network. Get the jab or wear the mask. The mask causes infections and hypoxia. The jab causes heart inflammation and anaphylaxis. And every hour of every day, warnings, threats, enticements, lures to get a so-called vaccine for a virus with a 99.987 recovery rate. How do you survive the lies? With a healthy injection of the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. Here we are, folks. Here we are, second day in July, the summer, the dog days of summer are upon us, and I hope you're prepared for them, and I hope you've got all the kind of peace that you're looking for in your life. Not, not so much knowing everything, but being comfortable that you know enough to make good choices and good decisions for yourself and your family, but even more than that, understanding and accepting the fact that we don't know everything. <laughs> Uh, and that doesn't mean we're stupid. Let me tell you what a guy a long time ago taught me. If you don't know everything, it doesn't mean you're stupid. If you don't know something and you know that you need to know what the truth is and you don't go find the truth, that means you're stupid. So <laughs> I don't know everything, but I'm not a stupid person. And I'm one of those people that believe in going and finding facts. And we're going to do that today. We are joined now from the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex by Dr. Richard Fleming, Ph.D., M.D., J.D. He's got it all, folks. He has got a pedigree that is amazing in healthcare. He's been around for quite a while. And I'm going to let him, as we introduce him to you, we're going to start off by letting him tell you a little bit about the stuff that he's in. But I will promise you this. He's all over on top of the facts and information that we need to know to get a grasp on how to handle not just COVID-19, but all the noise that we're getting on a daily basis that changes every day. Dr. Fleming, I hear you coughing, <laughs> clearing your throat. <laughs> thank you Sorry so much. Thank you. That's no, okay. Thank, we all do that. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let me tell you this. We had your, your friend, your associate, Sterling Hill on with us early this week. She's become a friend of this program and um, she's a fellow Louisianian now, so she's one of us. But she had <laughs> she she made it very clear to me, you need to be on our show for our people to hear what you have to say. We need to know facts. So tell us a little bit about your background. Give us kind of the nickel tour, and then I want you to go right to the COVID-19 debacle Americans are dealing with. Right. Well, um, the, the nickel tour is that I'm a Ph.D. in physics, uh, M.D., nuclear cardiologist, and uh, I have a law degree to boot. I have been involved probably for, let's see, this is 53rd year of doing research, which dates me way back into uh, age 12 when the Kennedy administration program re resulted in my being um, sent over to a PhD program for physics, which was my area of interest and expertise at the time. That led me to a lot of research looking at problems with testing and problems with sorting out medical problems, which I've spent several decades looking at, and that resulted in both the development of a theory that I first presented in 1994 on inflammation and heart disease, which laid the foundation for understanding that all the inflammatory diseases like heart disease and cancer and strokes and diabetes and cancer and a variety of others are related to an inflammatory process, which included many of the things that we talked about early on with cholesterol and fats and 
blood clotting problems, but also infections like bacteria and viruses. And then I spent a couple decades developing a method for measuring what happens in the tissue uh, so that we can measure regional blood flow and metabolic changes, which allows us to look at the inside of your body and figure out problems earlier and actually measure whether you're responding to a treatment or not. Wow. Tell us <clears throat> patent number 9566037. Tell us <laughs> yeah. about that. <laughs> right. So, and I apologize, there's a lot of reverberation here. Um, so that is now referred to as Fleming Method, and that's why we have FlemingMethod.com website. What I did was figure out that the imaging cameras that we currently use don't accurately measure what you're looking for. And so I sorted out a way to make those accurately able to consistently and reproducibly come up with a meaningful measurement which allows us to find things like COVID-19 and the amount of inflammation of blood clotting going on and then apply a treatment to you and then within three days re-image you with Fleming method and measure whether the treatment actually worked. And that's what we did around the world in the study that we did looking at treatments for SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. Let's cut to the chase, what that really means, folks. You know, they told us from the beginning, COVID-19 primarily attacks our lungs with tremendous amounts of inflammation. And if you remember early on, all of the doctors, especially up in the New York area, we had a couple of nurses and a doctor or two on the air with us live here talking about very early on, they were putting patients almost immediately on vents and they were not able to get oxygen in the lungs of those people primarily because of the tremendous inflammation. That's all part of it, isn't it, Dr. Fleming? It is, and unfortunately, the way that they've been using the ventilators have been incorrect for those patients. Uh, There were several studies published in the early 2000s that looked at patients with this amount of inflammation and fluid in their lungs. And those studies very clearly showed that if you treated people using ventilators with the amount of air that we normally give to somebody, which is called tidal volume, you'll kill them. Uh, You have to cut that, what's called tidal volume, which is the amount of air that is given to the patient each time the machine breathes for them. You have to cut it in half or you will cause more inflammation, swelling, and death in those patients. And that's pretty much what we've seen. Well, let's segue right into the 900-pound gorilla that's in everybody's room and everybody's mind Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. COVID-19. Now, I told you offline before we went live, there was some really serious information that came out overnight that's been buried. I know that surprises you, doctor. They're not telling us the truth. Listen to this. I, I, I'm not, I didn't even get a chance to ask you before we went live, but here's the story that came out overnight. And I'm going to read it, uh, just a segment of it verbatim, and then I want to get your input. A patent dated back to November 2018 was deemed to be evidence that proves DARPA, Big Pharma, Bill Gates, other British overlords were all involved in developing the coronavirus as a bioweapon, not developing vaccines, but the coronavirus itself as a bioweapon. The patent for coronavirus was granted November 20th of 2018 by the U.S. Patent Office. 
And in the patent, it stated the applicant was the Peerbright Institute. Peerbright, as the patent listed, received grants, not only from the Bill and Melinda Gates not-for-profit, but also from Wellcome Trust, Department of Environment, Food, and Rural Affairs in the U.K., and Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, that's DARPA, that we talk about a lot. So the outlet reminded that Wellcome Trust has a history of supplying medical kits full of experimental vaccines to the British starting back in World War II, which conducted the world's first modern concentration camp vaccine experiments that killed more than 60,000 blacks and whites. More suspiciously, the date the patent was filed for approval went all the way back to 2017 on January 23rd. It took the UK managed patent examiner 17 months of consideration, that's all, before promptly issuing a patent, a patent for the coronavirus. And at the bottom of all of this and a signature on this, you'll probably not be surprised to hear is the WHO, the World Health Organization. Now, had you heard this before, Dr. Fleming? I have. Well, shame have, on you fact, for not we, coming sooner and sharing it. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> I'm, work, I'm working on this scientifically. Um, we have data that shows that this gain-of-function research goes back to at least 1999. Uh, I'm looking at a patent on my screen here that goes back to... Um, 2014, where Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina was issued a patent, uh, international patent, which means the American one had already been issued, that NIH uh, gets the uh, funding support for, and it's specifically focused on gain-of-function research of the spike protein of the coronavirus. Um, there are uh, a number of papers that uh, Ralph Barrick from the University of North Carolina, Shi Zhang Li of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and Peter Dazak of EcoHealth are all members of these published papers, research funding that came from DARPA, that came from NIH, that came from NIAID, that came from the National Science Foundation of China, that... Um, came from the Gates uh, Foundation and the Rockefeller Foundation. All of this has been, uh, we have the data on this. We also have the genomes uh, recently uh, provided to us that had been wiped from the Wuhan Institute of Virology data bank in the summer of 2019. Extensive testing using PCR testing to look at SARS-CoV-2, which is the name of the virus, and compare that to three of the viruses that uh, Ralph Barrick developed through gain-of-function research, and the viruses match. Wow. Let me say this. I, um, I don't speak for a lot of people, but I, uh, I get a lot of questions, and therefore I try to give answers, and I'm not afraid. I mean, I'm an old guy now. I'm not afraid to say when I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. There's nothing Careful wrong with on the age there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's nothing wrong with saying you're, you don't know when you don't know, it's really crazy to try to give someone an answer. But the big question that everybody is now asking the first question for months was why, why? And, um, where'd it come from? And of course, you know, Dr. Fauci, everybody's favorite 
virologist and epidemiologist that knows everything about COVID-19 yet has not not treated one patient. Nevertheless, he made it very clear in the beginning, if you believe that it came out of the Wuhan uh, Institute of Virology, you're deluded. And uh, Mm -hmm. we all basically agreed at the beginning, but then all the things seemed to point that maybe that isn't accurate. So here we are, we're sitting here 18 months, 16 months into this whole thing, and, and Dr. Fleming, the American public, the American people, we know maybe 3 or 4% at most more today about COVID-19 than we did 16 months ago. <clears throat> so in your professional opinion, looking at this from a whole different plane than we do, you're a research specialist. That's what your career has been about. It's been very successful. You're at a level of understanding that's far above us. Is this really a virus that was developed to do exactly what it's doing as a quote-unquote biological weapon of some sort for some reason? Well, I I will go one better for you than that. Um, To begin with, yes, this is a man-made virus. Uh, And it looks like SARS-CoV-1 from 2002 was also a man-made virus. But most people are looking at this as a virus and what you really have to think of this as is a delivery mechanism. The virus is nothing more than a delivery mechanism. What's it delivering? Because it is delivering something much more serious than a virus. It is delivering a prion. And a prion is a malfloated protein that causes uh, inflammation throughout the body and damage to the brain. And it does it slowly over a long period of time. And a a typical well-known prion disease is mad cow disease. Wow. The animal studies show that this virus actually produces uh, what I call spongiform encephalopathy, which means the brain looks like a sponge, which is what mad cow disease is. And it does it slowly and methodically. And in the what's called humanized mice models, which are mice that have changes made to them so they'll have that ACE2 receptor that humans have, that in two weeks, 95% of those mice died and all of the mice had this brain damage. And the rhesus macaque or monkey models that are close to humans showed in five to six weeks, they had damage to their brain with things that are called Lewy bodies, the same type of proteins that produce Alzheimer's disease and other neurologic diseases. Um, That makes this spike protein actually the best biological weapon you could have made because it produces prion diseases. And one of the things that people don't realize until they get into the detail is that Xi Zhang Li admitted in the early 2000s, to 2010s, I'd have to go back and look at it, that she had inserted HIV glycoprotein 120 into this virus, the spike protein. And HIV glycoprotein 120 is a prion. It's one of these things that cause this type of disease. Luc Montagnier and uh, Jean-Claude Perez from uh, Paris have done the statistical work and Luc Montagny is 
the gentleman who received the Nobel Prize for uh, finding HIV, uh, these gentlemen have shown and provided me data, and, and they've shared it with others, that show that there's uh, 1,770 nucleotide bases in this spike protein and this virus that are HIV inserts. Dr. Fleming, you do understand that in the context of the reasoning ability and the knowledge that most people like me have in this thing, the things that you're saying right now are pretty darn scary. Right. Okay. So let me let me um, provide some hope and insight here. To begin with, uh, there are treatments for this this virus. Uh, we've published research on it using Fleming method to measure the response. So we have uh, published the results. In fact, outpatient treatments, if you get infected and become symptomatic, are a whopping $80 for the person. Uh, We actually just posted that on the site so that we're actually posting not only the treatments, but the costs. (laughs) So, you know, it's kind of like we can't afford $80 for people that are symptomatic as an outpatient. Uh, We have a problem. Uh, we've shown a variety of treatments that work. It's very interesting that when people go into the hospital, um, one of the distinctions to make here is that SARS-CoV-2, so severe acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus 2, is the name of the virus. If you have something that predisposes you to more inflammation or more blood clotting, which is referred to as an inflammothrombotic response, you will get sicker with a disease that's called coronavirus disease 19. That's not a virus, that's a disease. So the differentiation is you have cholesterol that can lead to heart coronary artery disease and you have coronary artery disease. You have SARS-CoV-2, that's the virus that can lead to COVID-19. You have HIV, that's the virus that can lead to AIDS, a disease. So they're two separate things. But if you come down with the disease, you can actually be treated quite well. 99.83% of the people we looked at who had the critical disease um, with a mortality that everybody's aware of from last year and even this year, um, we only lost three people out of 1,800, which are still three people that we lost, um, but much better than doing nothing. Absolutely. So it's very treatable. And heparin, which is one of the drugs that we gave to anybody hospitalized to reduce the blood clotting, we now know interferes with the ability of this virus to attach itself to your cells. Keep that, keep that, write that down, folks, heparin. And uh, at the end, in just a few minutes, I'm going to get Dr. Fleming to talk about treatment and places to go to get it. Let me just say this. He keeps referring to the site. The site is www.flemingmethod.com. Fleming Method, F-L-E-M-I-N-G, just like it sounds, flemingmethod.com and i spent i gotta be honest with you since we first spoke a week or so ago i've spent probably two or three hours and i still haven't been able to digest all of the data and information that is there there's a wealth of details and it answered a lot of my questions it's funny what you can do 
when you find facts that you know factually or true. And that's why Dr. Fleming, that's why we brought him on the show, because everybody out there needs to hear the truth. We hear so much that changes from day to day. Facts don't change every day. I mean, when facts mm-hmm. are facts, they're absolute. Right, doctor? Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I get people who follow me at conferences year after year and they say, well, that's not what I said five years ago or 10 years ago. And my first response is you need a better hobby than to follow me around. (laughs) Um, But all I'm doing is following the facts. I'm not making them up. And that's one of the reasons why you won't see me jumping out there to be first on a topic, because I'd rather be right than be first. Absolutely. It's nice to be first and right, but being right is more critical. Let me ask you this. I, I, you, you're in the greater Dallas-Fort Worth area. Are you practicing at a clinic, a hospital, or do you have a private practice there now? Um, I am not. I decided that I did not want to uh, have a clinical practice here for a variety of reasons, but the strongest one right now is that I think it would be a conflict of interest on my part. Uh, people would want to come see me and therefore it could be deemed that what I'm telling people is a method of just simply simply, um, getting business or income. So I'm not doing that. I am providing the science for people and putting down everybody else's research results so it's valid and we can address this. Well, that sounds very prudent and very logical because, you know, in this political environment, which I'm sure you've probably heard this has been politicized to a large degree. Um, <laughs> when uh, we, we tell our they ask, well, you know, talking about Tony Fauci, and I'm not even going to ask your opinion about Dr. Fauci. Uh, and everybody, oh, I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, go ahead. Before you go to him, let me tell you what what we do is we look at the stuff that the Fauci's of the world we call them Fauciisms. We look at them and we listen to them. And very early on, when this all began, I mean, Fauci, like the first three or four days, he was up at the White House uh, briefing room with the uh, coronavirus task force. You know, they denigrated Donald Trump, made him look silly and sound silly because of that evil hydroxychloroquine thing that was working in upstate New York. But it wasn't good enough for Fauci and company. But people aren't stupid. People out there can recognize when people don't tell the truth. And so I started getting phone calls, you know, well, what about this? What about that? You know, Fauci said this, the story on the site said this, and then Fauci came back and said it wasn't so. And here's how I became okay and how to figure out how to handle stuff like that. When somebody tells you a lie and then tells you a second one, maybe a third one. By the time they tell you the third lie, you can truthfully brand them as a liar. So therefore, my question is, looking at the poli- uh, the politicians and uh, those in D.C. that have used this for whatever advantage or advantages they wanted, um, if somebody lies to you and you know they lied to you once or twice or three times, can you ever again believe anything they tell you? Which story do you get told especially if it's a life-changing decision involved which one are you willing to take and believe and put it in practice in your life and risk death we're at that point now dr fleming where people don't know who to believe and what to trust 
Right. You know, and it, and it's very hard from my perspective because I feel like I'm defending science and I'm defending medicine. <laughs> and, uh, you know, without having done anything wrong, I have to defend fields that have a lot of very, very good people working in them. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you've got Kevin McCarran in Japan, who's one of the world's experts in primate behavior, who understands the neurologic phenomenon. You have Luc Montagnier and Jean-Claude Perez in Paris that are experts in virology. You have uh, Didier, uh, I think it's Roulet, who's done work with hydroxychloroquine. Uh, also in Paris, you have people that have worked very diligently to try to find some answers and, you know, where there's some, again, as a research physician, I, I prefer clinical trials because that's the only way that you can really find the answers versus what you think you're observing. So I'm I, very careful about what I state is proven versus what sounds like a good idea. I think you know, one of the things that sets scientists apart is that we don't play some of this social media nonsense that's going on. It's a matter of trying to share information and listen to what other people are talking about. I review for, I don't know, 16, 17, 18 medical journals, and I review every scientific paper from the perspective of, do you know what you're talking about? Does this make sense? I look at the reports that come out uh, that all people hear about in the same way. I don't take the uh, somebody else's perspective on things without myself going and reading and investigating, which is why we put the research study together that we did. And, and then ran it. And what I'm doing today actually is on the website, we had 68 papers under the, the virus area itself. By the end of today, we will have 141 papers explaining to people what research I was looking at before I began the research study, papers on hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine and zinc and remdesivir and convalescent plasma and interleukin-6 inhibitors, all the drugs that we used for our research and why I selected those drugs and the combinations I did. Um, and it, one of the critical things about science is that it won't just include your work, but it will include a lot of other work from the people who've been investigating the area. When you get into the area of you know, Fleming method. Well, that's something that I have because I patented it. So it's not something I can refer to other people very well because they haven't been publishing on my patent. Um, but to listen to Dr. Fauci make discussions or comments on things is very challenging for me as a research scientist because when I listen to him, I don't hear the scientific facts that I need to back up his statements. For example, Remdesivir had this wonderful press release in, in I think it was probably the Oval Office, but it was someplace in the White House. And I've never seen this done before where some uh, somebody in the government makes a press release about a drug that they may have some conflict of interest with. But we looked at remdesivir in this study, and in people who hadn't been treated with anything else, uh, 
they only had a 28% response to remdesivir. And for perspective's sake, if you have a drug that can make you better, worse, or not change, you have a 33 and a 3rd% chance of each. And remdesivir performed at 28%. It underperformed chance. <laughs> That's the type of stuff that people need to understand when when they're looking at something. Um, if you... So I, yeah, I was in medical school in the early 1980s when HIV uh, hit the scene and we were seeing it for the first time. And I don't remember a single paper that I've ever read that Dr. Anthony Fauci authored that was clean research on anything since that time. So all the decades that everybody else is looking at him as an expert, I'm looking at him and saying, what have you done? As of um, a couple of weeks ago, he was asked point blank on uh, one press. I don't, I don't know if it was a, uh, a group, an individual or whatever, but I, I was shocked to hear <clears throat> him answer. And he didn't hesitate when he was asked how many COVID-19 patients he had personally treated. And he said none. Um, yeah. I, if you hear the things that he has been saying for a year and a half, you would never think that this guy that has so much power and so much credibility given to him, not earned, but given to him by the political people in our government, many of the political people in our government, that should shock you because there is no firsthand information. And you're a research doctor. You just told us you can't, you can't, in a qualified manner, weigh in on things that you don't see the facts, the structural fundamental facts. And here we have the anointed one, the head of the NIH, basically, controlling the big money, the ones that are putting those grants in the hands of the likes of the Wuhan Institute of Virology for gain-of-function research, which is to weaponize a virus and other stuff telling us what to do and what not to do and that we're stupid if we don't just go all in and believe one thing. That's the scary part, and that's where we've got to have people like you that come in here and tell us the facts. We're capable of making decisions, and we're really good at doing it and pretty much successful at doing that when we have the truth. Oh, absolutely. I I tell people uh, all the time that one of the critical um, methods I use to determine the truth or validity of something is I think back to the smartest man and woman I've ever known in my life. Who are they? My parents. Great answer. And, and, I, and I think back to them and I think, what would my parents think about this statement? And if the first thing I get is a sense of hesitancy or or doubt, I know I should question or doubt. That's a great thing. They may not have had the degrees, but they were brilliant, brilliant people. That's a great thought. So as we get, I guess, basically, we're we're getting to the end of it. We could go for an hour, hour and a half with more, more, more questions to get more information. First of all, will you come back? Absolutely. I'd love to. And, and um, secondly, give us some advice from, from 
a person that knows a whole lot more than most of us that are listening in now. Um, we've got to deal with this. I mean, we're out there where the rubber meets the road. We have families, we have kids, all those moving parts in Americans' lives that it appears to many of us that the political side of this whole thing has actually weaponized and is using to instill fear. Fear is the one thing that really messes us all up when we let it become the thing we use to make our decisions and our choices. Can you give us some recommendations of how to move forward in our thinking and grabbing a hold of truths about these things with which we can make good choices? Right. Well, to begin with, um, on FlemingMethod.com, if you go under Event 2021 and you drop to the bottom of that tab, there are some proposed treatment recommendations for people to share with their doctors and their friends to to address whether you think you've got an infection or you're having breathing difficulties or whether you've been somebody who's been vaccinated with symptoms or you're concerned about somebody having spread something to you via shedding that you can take a look at number one number two there's the old common sense thing which is personal hygiene washing your hands cleaning things off you not coughing on other people i mean this is something that i I started addressing early on where I said, did your parents not teach you not to cough and sneeze on people? You know, these are the people that benefit from masks. And yet, wouldn't you normally just stay home and not go out and cough on people versus having to go out and put a mask on? Um, You just basically need to ask these fundamental questions about personal hygiene and taking care of yourself. The other thing is there's a lot of uh, reverberation and fear-mongering going on right now with the Delta virus and everything else. And I, I told somebody yesterday, this reminds me of going on a trip with my kids and they're in the back seat. They're going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? So every time somebody asks me about that, it reminds me of the kids saying, are we there yet? Um, quit asking that question. Uh, quit getting fearful about people trying to drive you to do something because, oh, my goodness, there's a new variant. There is. If you actually look at the Delta variant, you should take that as very promising information because the v1 v2 v3 and delta variants are the ones that are changing the most and they're changing because it looks like they're trying to kick out the hiv and the prra inserts that were placed into them in other words the virus is trying to normalize itself by the looks of it genetically That is the same type of thing that our bodies try to do when things are perturbing them and and injuring them. So that's a good thing. That's the virus, I think, trying to respond to what was done to change it and trying to get back to normal, number one. Number two, it really does send a message that the vaccines that were developed were not that great an idea. Uh, First off, they weren't tested properly. Secondly, they're only experimental. Um, I would encourage people to not get vaccinated. I would encourage people to not send their children to schools that require them to be vaccinated or masked. And by that, I mean secondary schools and I mean colleges and universities. I would encourage people to put pressure on their governors 
to tell their governors to tell the universities and schools to not put those stipulations on people. And there are a variety of petitions that people can go to FlemingMethod.com under that event 2021 tab, drop down for the president, representatives, senators, governors, you name it, to print up, sign, and mail into these people. Their addresses are on the forms. Uh, I'm encouraging people to make decisions to quit being pushed around and also to recognize that their doctors have a right to treat them medically the way that they and their doctor decide because there's nothing in the U.S. Constitution that gives the federal government the right to manipulate the people like this, either by preventing treatment, forcing vaccinations, or scaring the heck out of people. If you're running around scared after somebody's talked to you, you should be asking why they're doing that. If you're running around saying, well, gee, uh, they're going to pay me to take this vaccine or in a lottery, you should be asking what's wrong with the vaccines if they have to give me a gift to take it or bribe me to take it. <clears throat> so do the personal hygienic stuff. Don't cough and sneeze on people. Wash your hands. You can take a look at those proposed treatments and share them with your doctors. And quit letting the politicians and the powers that be push you around. Remember that these colleges and universities that are saying you have to be vaccinated get money from the federal government, money from the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Helmsley Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation, all the people that have paid for the development of this bioweapon, all the people that have been involved in preventing you from getting treatments, all the people involved in developing these vaccines and getting money from them. Follow the money, in other words. Follow the money. Follow the money, yes. Dr. Fleming, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being here today and sharing with us great wisdom. And um, I just want to, again, encourage folks to look and listen to what you hear. Get as much information as you can. Dr. Fleming pointed us to the website, FlemingMethod.com, FlemingMethod.com. Go there, get information, follow up, and ask questions. And you heard Dr. Fleming promise he's going to come back and be with us again. Right? Be happy to. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, everybody, and Dr. Fleming, too. This show, every, every Truth News Network TNN Live show, it's on live, as you know, but shortly after the show is over, it's uploaded at Apple Podcast. Just go to the search bar and put TNN Live. You can get it there, no cost. It pops up also at Spotify Podcast. And, of course, you can go to our website, truthnewsnet.org, and get every one of these. And, Dr. Fleming, what we're going to do is um, we'll send you the MP3 video uh, voc uh, audio file of this podcast so you'll have it there. And anytime Perfect. you want to come back, if you've got information that you want to get to a good size audience of people that are hungry for facts, you've got my phone number. Give me a call. We'd love to have you anytime. Perfect. I appreciate it. And for everybody in the United States, have a happy and safe 4th of July. Same to you, doctor. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Dr. Richard Fleming out of Dallas, Fort Worth. Boy, did he bring us some good factual information. That's amazing, folks. And I, once again, will tell you, I encourage you to go to that website, www.flemingmethod.com, 
and especially go to the section that's titled COVID-19. There's some videos in there and some documents, and it's facts, folks. It's facts. And he has no dog in the hunt. He's not looking for a dime. (laughs) That's an interesting conundrum, isn't it? We got a whole lot more to the show. Do you know that life went on while you slept? (laughs) And anytime life goes on, there's some controversial things that we need to arm ourselves with facts to deal with. We've got some of those. Don't leave. Back in two minutes at TNN Live. Des Moines HelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month. The one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by the sad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes. M&M's dark chocolate candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Maybe you don't know this. I'm a music guy. (laughs) That's one of my favorite artists, too. Michael McDonald. Friend of mine produced two albums for Michael McDonald, and they are remakes of Motown hits. And And I promise you, folks, they are incredible. I never sell, we never sell anything here. We just don't do it. We never have. Every product, every uh, uh, every piece of information, our podcast, everything is for free. So we're not selling anything. But I love music, and I love, um, I, I just love the sound of Michael McDonald. So um, if you want some good, good music, especially you guys listen. First of all, your wife likes Michael McDonald. She may not admit it, but she does. I had a chance to talk to him once a long time ago. He was on a national talk show, and I called in because I wanted to tell him hello and introduce myself, and I told him on the show, it was a national show, I told him, I said, uh, Michael, I just wanted to let you know, my wife told me you're the only man she would ever leave me for. 
He didn't say any. He didn't know how to respond. Anyway, he's got that one-in-a-lifetime voice, and uh, he does some good stuff. Motown hits Michael McDonald. Check it out. So what else is going on in, in the world around us? I think there's probably a thing or two that um, we need to weigh into a little bit. Since we're talking about COVID-19, here's one that uh, I warned you about, I guess a month, six weeks, maybe two months ago, that is probably going to happen around the world. And so last night, the European Union launched its very own digital COVID-19 certificate system. And they're using the term vaccine passport. It's meant to smooth border crossings between the European Union's 27 member states. Now, if you've not been to Europe, let me explain to you getting around geographically. It's it's very similar to moving here in the United States from state to state. It's almost the same thing. But instead of going state to state, you're going country to country. And so there, there's a lot of autonomy between these countries and moving back and forth. It, it's not like... You know, you have to bring your passport and stop when you cross the border and go into customs. Sometimes when there's bad stuff going on, that does happen. But most of the time, it's just driving through. And um, anytime you get stopped for anything or certain other situations, they're going to ask you, right now it's just ask you, to see your vaccine passport. They're calling it the EU Digital COVID Certificate. And, of course, it indicates it shows if a traveler has been fully vaccinated, has received a recent negative test result, or has immunity due to recent recovery from COVID-19. It takes the form of a QR code, which can be displayed on any electronic device, such as a smartphone or printed out. So that's coming right now. It's in the makings, fixing to be issued in Europe. Just keep that in the back of your mind in case you happen to be going to... uh, Milan, or going to um, the vineyards in France, you may have to have that and check into it before you go. Lots of noise came out of Washington, D.C. yesterday. Yesterday ended the official session for the year of the United States Supreme Court. And they did a couple of things. They put some things out that just lit the world on fire. First of all, they upheld... Arizona's statute, a new law, it bans ballot harvesting. And it includes a policy that throws out boats that are cast by persons in precincts in which they don't live. Justice Alito, he wrote for the majority in a 6-3 decision that neither that Arizona law that bans ballot harvesting nor their policy that outlaws out-of-precinct voting, neither of those violate Section 2 of the Voting Rights Acts, which bans racial discrimination. And voting that way, along with Alito, Chief Justice Roberts, Justices Thomas, Gorsuch, Barrett, and Kavanaugh. Justice Kagan wrote the dissent, and she was joined by Justices Breyer and Sotomayor. This is a quote. In these cases, we are called upon for the first time to apply Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act to regulations that govern how ballots are collected and counted. Arizona law generally makes it easy to vote. 
All voters may vote by mail or in person for nearly a month before Election Day. But Arizona imposes two restrictions that are claimed to be unlawful, Alito wrote in his majority opinion. First, in some counties, voters who choose to cast a ballot in person or on Election Day must vote in their own precincts or else their ballots will not be counted. What, what's wrong with that, folks? I'll circle back, as Jen Psaki does in just a second, but let me move on with what the justice said. Second, mail-in ballots cannot be collected by anybody other than an election official, a mail carrier, or a voter's family member, household member, or caregiver. So, he continued, one strong and entirely legitimate state interest is the prevention of fraud. Fraud can affect the outcome of a close election, and fraudulent votes dilute the right of citizens to cast ballots that carry appropriate weight. He went on and on and on. I'm not going to go on. Basically, folks, you and I know that opinion was based totally on reasonable, factual information. And yet, it set the world on fire. I've heard probably a dozen of the far-left media sycophants and the people that hate the rule of law and hate conservatism, and they're screaming and hollering for fairness to come back to the United States Supreme Court, and therefore Justice Breyer has got to resign, retire, so Joe Biden can replace him with a hard-left Supreme Court justice. That's what this is all about. Nobody in their right mind, nobody that is honest, can actually claim honestly that that Arizona law that does those two things, and basically all it does is make sure that everybody has the right to vote, that is legally capable to vote, and by the way, they do it where they're supposed to and when they're supposed to. And something's wrong with that? Something's unconstitutional with that? Something in that suppresses voters and votes? You know what's happening around the nation as this gets more news time on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? The very people who these hard leftists are claiming this suppresses the votes of, minority Americans. Those very people are growing in number, and more than half of them today say, enough's enough. Now, I'm putting words in their mouth, but the inference is given in interviews. It's racist for these political hacks to claim that a minority person can't go vote, that a minority member, African-American principally, can't go get a picture ID to use to vote. They have to get picture IDs to do anything in our nation. Is that not racist now? Why haven't they been ringing the racist bell for all the years that they've had to get driver's license to drive? Or you have to have some proof of who you are to get on a commercial airline. You can't even cash a check without one. So are all of those requirements from all of those institutions, are those racist? No, they're not racist. It's idiotic and it's pure lunacy for them to make this cry. Now let me point something out. Is they're screaming for Breyer to bail out? Because he's conservative. We got to get rid of him. He's not 
according to the rule of law, making his decisions. So you remember back earlier this year, the Supreme Court weighed in on that Obamacare thing. Obamacare. Who wrote the majority opinion on the result the Supreme Court put out with that? Oh, by the way, the opinion they put out, the finding they put out, was that Obamacare is legal. Who put out the majority opinion? Who wrote it? (laughs) Stephen Breyer. So, is he a conservative or is he a leftist? It's kind of like which day they want to make that determination and which political piece of legislation they want to attack. Listen, listen, I can't get by this. What was the reason that our forefathers put the Supreme Court in play as it is? It's non-political. Why would they do that? Well, the legislative branch of the government, I think everybody understands, it's pure political. The administration, the executive branch of the government, it's pure political. Don't you think we need to have somebody involved in the whole process of governing that is not political at all? Supreme Court justices, they don't run for office. They're nominated by presidents. Yeah, the nomination can be political in a way, but they go through exhaustive background investigations and hearings in the Senate Judiciary Committee, and those become circuses when people in the U.S. Senate turn them into politics, which happens now every time. But Supreme Court justices are not supposed to make their opinions based upon politics but on the law, and not just the law, how the laws of all of the nation, the states, the local levels, how they line up and compare to the supreme law of our nation, which is the United States Constitution. That's the way they are all supposed to be decided. The left don't want that. That's why the screams and hollering and crying for pack the courts, pack the courts. We need to add more justices so Joe Biden can appoint three or four leftists justices so we can get fairness back in. They want to be able to dictate to the court how they rule on everything that comes before the court rather than leaving it like it basically is and has been for 240 years, which is non-political. And so the Supreme Court popped, guess who? Kamala Harris and California's Attorney General for violating the First Amendment. Yesterday, The court sided with Americans for Prosperity against acting California Attorney General Matthew Rodriguez in favor of keeping nonprofit donor records private. And in doing that, it smacks down a measure pushed by Kamala Harris, then a senator, that conservatives feared could be used to target them. Go figure. You don't think the left would pick up some information about a donor somebody that gave money to somebody that's of the other political party, you don't think they'd pick that up and use it against that person, do you? (laughs) The majority opinion said this, the government may regulate in the First Amendment only with narrow specificity and compelled disclosure regimes are no exception. That was Chief Justice John Roberts that wrote that. The majority ruled 6-3. 
When it comes to a person's beliefs and associations, broad and sweeping state inquiries into these protected areas discourage citizens from exercising rights protected by the Constitution. California's disclosure requirement is invalid, the court said, because it burdens donors' First Amendment rights and is not narrowly tailored to an important government interest. Now, I said this was way back when Kamala Harris was senator. It was even further back. She was still attorney general in California. She sent a letter to that Americans for Prosperity Foundation, AFP, in 2013, asking them to send Schedule B forms to her office to disclose its largest donors. A Schedule B is a highly confidential form that lists the names and addresses of a charity's major donors, including those who live outside of the state. AFP declined to send the forms, saying doing so would it would dissuade people from donating and would violate the First Amendment. So Xavier Becerra took over as Attorney General for Harris, but he was soon succeeded by Matthew Rodriguez when he became United States Secretary of Health and Human Services. In the case, the current AG of California, Rodriguez, alleged that the Attorney General's office began asking for the Schedule B forms in 2010 in the same way the IRS does, to fight charitable fraud and self-dealing. They further claimed they were not asking for Schedule B forms as a way to target people or publicly out individuals for supporting causes they would never do that. I mean, listen to us. Listen, look, look at my face. We wouldn't do that. We're honest. We just want to make sure they don't cheat. Oh, so making sure somebody doesn't cheat, that's only okay if you're a state government. Um, if, you're, if you're an American citizen and you want to check out and just make sure that people didn't cheat in an election, as an example, you can't do that. You're a conspiracy theorist. What's good for the goose is good for the gander, I would say. I think that's good for everybody. I can't imagine. I I can tell you this. I'm not a big political campaign donor. I have from time to time. I certainly have never done it, at least especially to the financial level where I feel like somebody I'm donating to would have some obligation to me. But I don't do it because I don't want anybody to know what I'm doing. It's my business. And I don't want people taking information to weaponize against me for any kind of political cause just because I did something legally, made a decision, made a choice, and did it. And I don't want people to weaponize that against me. I mean, I'm not weaponizing the fact that they think screwy thoughts against them. That's between them and whoever else is in their lives. It's not my place. Another note on this Arizona voting bill. Job Creators Network, which is one of America's largest small business advocacy organizations, praised the Supreme Court that ruling that struck down California requiring all charities to disclose major donors. And it's no surprise that they did. People have the right to privacy. And what I get, my, my religious affiliation and what I give to my church, my political affiliation and what I give or don't give to political candidates of my choice 
I don't want to know any of that about you. I don't want you to know any of that about me. It's none of your business and it's none of my business. Right to privacy, First Amendment. Don't abridge what I say or think. I won't abridge what you say or think. But don't take information about something I personally choose to do or not do. You have no right to weaponize that against me. And listen here, politically, folks, I don't trust the likes of then Attorney General Kamala Harris and her office or Xavier Becerra or the new guy, Rodriguez. They use everything they can. They use stuff that's false on its surface, yet alone getting truthful information and turning it into a weapon. They'll use anything they can to try to denigrate people they view as being their opponents. That's what it's, it's come to today, folks. So in the wake of all this, you know what happened yesterday. Democrats went crazy screaming their displeasure with the Supreme Court's final decisions. And so just because the court upheld the First Amendment, just because the court upheld the fact that cheating in elections is not okay, and a state legislature that wants to make sure there's no cheating in elections, just want, well, how's that cheating, Dan? Nobody will come on this show and talk to me and point to me and tell me about any one of the laws Some of them are still bills, but any one of the laws that have been passed regarding voter suppression, that's what they're calling them all, voter suppression. But what they really are is making sure, making it easier to vote. More people can vote, more opportunities to vote. Drop boxes now are being made legal around the U.S. They've never been used before. They were only used this time on a one-time emergency basis because of coronavirus. But states are making those permanent They're making it easier to do absentee and um, mail-in balloting under certain circumstances, but they're requiring people to prove who they are and that they're the ones that cast these votes. That's voter suppression. The very fact that anybody would question that tells me they want to make sure it's okay if you cheat. And they don't want to get caught. Obviously, if you're going to cheat at anything, you don't want to get caught because there's a price to pay. And by the way, that's the only reason, the only reason that HR1 passed the House of Representatives, the only reason it was even entered to be considered in the House of Representatives, and then across into the Senate, Senate Bill Number 1 is still in limbo. It's because they want to be able to control every aspect of elections. They'll tell you till the cows come home, they'll scream it to the top of their lungs. We want everybody to be able to vote. We don't want any regulation on it. We don't want anybody looking over our shoulders and questioning the legality or the illegality that certainly is happening again and again. Right now, today, there are 500 voter fraud cases in the court system In one state, Texas, 500. Well, all of those can't be truthfully fraudulent cases. Well, maybe not all of them are, folks, but how many cheating, how many illegal votes cast? How many? What's the percentage? What's the number that's okay with you? If you're 
a hardworking person from another country, as an example, and you spend your entire life looking at to the greatest nation on earth, the United States of America, and wishing somehow you could go there. You could go there and make a better life for yourself and your family. And then you get an opportunity to do just that on a legal basis. You apply and go through the legal immigration process to come to the United States, make a life, register to vote, and then to vote. Nobody needs to say this, but I'll say it. You've got to jump through hoops. You've got to find money to make it possible for you to come here. You've got to go through the process. And it's not an easy process. It's not instantaneous. There's a price to pay to become a legal immigrant here in the United States. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Folks, there are a lot of things I can't do. A lot of places I can't go. I'd like to do a bunch of those things. I'd like to go to a bunch of those places. But just because I'm breathing air doesn't give me a unilateral right or any authority whatsoever to set out the process and adjust it to fit my wants and my likes to be able to do those things. I have no power and shouldn't act like I have power to do those kind of things. There are rules. There are regulations. There are laws that are crafted in our country to be for the betterment of the majority of our nation and people that are here, citizens. And it's wrong for anybody to circumvent or even try to circumvent those rules and regulations. But there's nothing wrong with paying a price. My brother wrote a song years ago, anything worth having is worth hurting for. What a great line. Anything worth having is worth hating for, hurting for. Doesn't that make sense? The fact that everything that's valuable comes at a price means you're going to appreciate it more. You're willing to work hard for it. Kids prove that to us every Christmas, especially little kids. I mean, we may suffer and save and scrimp to be able to buy them their their toy they've dreamed about. And this probably happened to you at one point or another with your kids, with grandkids. You sacrificed to save some money to buy this particular toy that they want. Christmas morning, they open it up, their eyes just get bright, they squeal and holler, and within 30 minutes, it's shoved over in the corner and they don't ever look at it again. You gave it to them. That's what gifts are. But there are very few things in my life, I don't care what age it was, I worked when I was little, I wanted to work, I wanted to have spending money. So I worked and did various things, mowed mowed yards. That was my big thing in our subdivision. I'll never forget it. I would mow, edge. We didn't have weed eaters back then, but I would pull weeds. And I had about five family houses on our block and one block over that paid me to do their yard once a week, especially from about April till late July, early August. Had about five of those. And you know what that turned in? To me, for folks, $15 a week of spending money. And I spent hours, and I grew up in, I'm talking about Lafayette, Louisiana, hot, humid, summer, sweat, can't get cooled off, that kind of stuff. And I'm telling you, I wasn't a teenager. This was at nine years old, eight, nine years old, 10 years old, I did that. Everything I spent that money on, 
I appreciated it. I took care of it. I bought a baseball glove. I bought a skateboard. I'll never forget buying that skateboard. This is back in the early 60s when, boy, California and surfing and skateboards was the thing. And you know what I did? I saved a little extra money, and instead of buying a skateboard that had those metal wheels on them, I saved a little extra money, and I got those big, fat, rubberized wheels, the ones that you used on the skates that you rented when you went to a skating rink. They were much cooler and smoother. I remember all those things, and it's because I worked for those. There's nothing wrong with working to become an American citizen. In fact, i got to be honest with you. I don't want people that think we owe them that to be the ones that come here and become legal immigrants. I want people that are willing to pay a price to get something very special. Let's move on. Well, since we're talking about California in a respect, Kamala Harris and her situation in that stuff with Xavier Becerra, Guess what's in the new California state budget proposal? Taxpayers are going to be footing the health care bill for older illegal immigrants as part of this state budget that was recently approved. It'll guarantee coverage for low-income, undocumented immigrants older than 50. It will not be a surprise to you to learn that uh, that bill was initiated by uh, Democrats who said they want to ensure everybody has health care insurance. Coverage is set to take effect next year. And it's not that expensive. It's going to cost taxpayers $1.3 billion a year. California State Senator Jim Nielsen said he felt providing health care to those living in the country illegally was one of the most egregious parts of the bill, which the governor was expected to sign by yesterday. Individuals who are illegally in California now, will receive health benefits equal to a citizen of California. All they got to do is just simply be here. And whether they're of legal status being here or not makes no difference. I would argue that is at the expense of Californians who are legally here and have been here their whole lives. Also, it inflates our budget considerably, becomes part of the base budget, meaning the ongoing budget into the future. Every year, we have to build into the base expenditure the extension of the people served. So there you have it, folks. Our political system in the United States, top to bottom, state to state, federal government. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez told us this the other day when we played that audio soundbite, that interview from Sunday, one of the news shows in which we said, people love democratic policies, and we know that if we get things accepted and put into law, they're hard to do away with. We know that. Here's a prime example in California. So instead of thinking about this at the 10,000-foot level, which is where we normally make better decisions, when we're down at ground level and we're caught up in something, we're going to make a decision almost every time because we're human based on the circumstances that are right in front of our faces at that particular time. At 10,000-foot level, we are more prone to look at the big picture. California is struggling. They're spending billions of dollars. They're upside down. We just, built, we, we, we just bailed them out. And one of the COVID stimulus bills, 
Joe Biden put in there, and I don't even remember the number, but Los Angeles, San Francisco, and the state of California, they got a check with no restrictions on how they spend it to bail them out of their upside-down economic situation. And it had hardly anything to do with COVID-19. Before we even heard of COVID-19, California was so upside-down economically, so depressed in their budget, their revenue, So we take money from other Americans. You know, those of us that live in successful economic red-controlled states like Texas, like Florida, like Tennessee, like Louisiana, Georgia. Our tax dollars go up there in these big states, New York, Seattle, California, the ones that don't take care of their money problems. They don't try to balance budgets. They just spend money on the backs of taxpayers, they get all that money. They're getting paid off for being bad government people. And that's our fault, right? That's our fault. Well, it'll come as no surprise to you that uh, there's news out on the Trump organization. Coming out of New York City, of course, which is the epicenter of everything bad, negative, and conservative America, the Trump organization has been facing an investigation. And, of course, everybody breathlessly on the left looks at it as, is it Trump? Are they going to arrest Trump? Are they going to indict Trump? It's not. And we're going to take a break when we come back. There are like four different versions of this story. We're not going to go deeply into all four of them, but we're going to tell you what they are, and you'll maybe get a Friday chuckle when you listen to some of this stuff. They're still after Trump, folks. They want him behind bars. And he ain't going. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. For over 75 years, people have saved money with... Oh, with Geico. Oh, sorry. Here what? we go. From the top. And action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Gecko. Cut so... it. What? What did I say? Gecko. I said Gecko. Oh. For over 75 years... <laughs> Keep it together. I'm good. I'm good. <clears throat> For over 70... <laughs> what are you doing there? Stop making me laugh. Geico. Saving people money for over 75 years. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Welcome to Staples. Staples guy, my company has like seven different printers. How's your ink selection? Behold, Staples Wall of Ink. Just wow. A huge selection of ink and toner guaranteed in stock. Hello, awesome. If it's not, we take $10 off and ship it to you free. Pinch me. I said pinch. I heard you. New low prices on ink and toner and an in-stock guarantee. Staples. Make more happen. So it's this beautiful summer day, and while most guys would say let's go to the beach, Donnie says... Hey, let's go to Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. They're having a warehouse sale. I say, are you serious? He says... Your place needs furniture, and at the sale you can get beautiful stuff and save 50, 60, even 80%. So we go to the Pilgrim Warehouse Sale. I buy a sofa, a love seat, and this really cute dinette set. But the big thing is, we pick it out together, Donnie and me. 
maybe this relationship is going somewhere. The Warehouse Sale at Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City. The voice we need more than ever. Dan Newman. TNN. The Truth News Network. Very kind words there from Pete Moss. That's kind of a patriotic sound going into a July 4th Independence Day weekend, isn't it? As we said, first of all, let me just tell you this. Dr. Um, Fleming that was with us, that whole segment during the break, what we decided to do, we're going we're gonna to turn that into its own podcast. Today's show will be posted at iTunes on Apple Podcast in its entirety, but we're going to put up a separate one that is just going to be of that interview with Dr. Richard Fleming. We'll do the same thing on our website, same thing on Spotify's podcast too. So you'll be able to grab them. And uh, incidentally, the one that goes up on our website, we'll do a special page on the story, which will just be a little introduction to Dr. Fleming. And then we'll put the podcast there in MP3 format. You'll be able to download, share, listen to it yourself. It's kind of, as you probably heard for yourself, it's kind of information and news that we want everybody around us to know is out there. And we're not saying that everything he said is absolutely fact and is absolute. He made it very clear that's not so. He changes his mind when facts change. And facts do change. And we don't know everything about everything, folks. There are things that we know about certain situations, but those may change because of environment, because of time and different things that happen. But sticking to something just because it fits a political narrative that we want it to fit That's disingenuous, and that's not being truthful. So what I'm saying is you probably want to think about it. Listen to it yourself. You may want to pass it around to some friends. And if you do, that's fine. I want you to do that. We want everybody to know and at least have news and information that we feel confident is factual that they can use to make choices and decisions. So that's what we're making it available for. told you about former President Trump. The Trump Organization's chief financial officer, a guy named Alan Weisselberg, yesterday turned himself in voluntarily to Manhattan District Attorney ahead of criminal charges leveled against him for tax crimes. A statement from the Trump Organization defended Weisselberg as a loving and devoted husband, father, and grandfather. He's being used as a pawn, they say, in a scorched-earth attempt to harm the former president. Nobody in their right mind thinks that anybody would try to harm Donald Trump. Never did, aren't now, never will. (laughs) The criminal charges are expected to be surrounding the benefits that Mr. Weiselberg enjoys as a longtime executive of the company, and they accuse him of a crime for failing to pay taxes on those benefits. So what are those benefits? That's the first thing that popped into my mind when I heard about this. Well, they they include the use of an apartment in Manhattan, leased vehicles, and private school tuition for one of his grandchildren. Now, folks, let me put that in, in context. I'll bet you, and I don't know this, but knowing Manhattan, knowing the environment there, I doubt very seriously... Mr. Weiselberg, and he has grandkids, so he's not a 30-year-old person. He's been around a while. I would imagine he's got a principal residence 
somewhere else and probably comes into Manhattan like most people do from the burbs to go to work. So let me mention this. What business is the Trump Organization been in? Commercial real estate, building buildings. Everybody knows there are Trump Towers in major cities around the world. A big component of Trump Towers are residences. Can you imagine a scenario when maybe not always, but maybe sometimes, he needs to stay in the city over the weekend and he uses, instead of a hotel room, an empty apartment at Trump Tower. Just saying, don't know. And then lease vehicles. I got to be honest with you folks. A lot of companies provide vehicles to their major management employees. It wasn't until 2017 that I actually bought a new car. and I mean, it had been years, 20 plus years. That's because my company that I owned would lease vehicles primarily because I used them almost exclusively for business and I had other private vehicles. Our CPA made note of that and it was adjusted on our tax returns. And then private school tuition for one of his grandchildren. Folks, Marianne and I, we for years have given scholarships through Fellowship of Christian Athletes to a, one boy and one girl that are graduating from high school in our area to go to a college around here. Now, granted, I understand there's a difference between doing that. We actually never gave that money directly to FCA. Therefore, we never deducted it from our tax returns. We would write the checks ourselves somebody in our company would met. There were some requirements they had to meet on an ongoing basis, like grades and stuff like that. But we kind of managed it ourselves. I will bet you a fortune their parents did not include those scholarship amounts on their personal tax returns. So everybody said, oh, they're going after Trump for all of his horrible business wrongdoing. Cyrus Vance who is the federal attorney there that hates Donald Trump and has for a long time. And everybody knew he was going after Trump. He was going to get him. We're going to tell you about Michael Cohen in just a second, what he said yesterday when this all happened about Trump. So Cy Vance left us around the nation and around the world, and especially people in media on the left. This is the beginning of the end for Donald Trump. Now, how does this normally happen? These kind of things they're indicting Mr. Weiselberg for, the things I told you. Leased vehicles, use of an apartment, and school tuition for one grandchild. How is that normally handled? Here's how it's normally handled. It shows up in an IRS audit. And what they do is they figure up the tax on the benefits and stuff that are included in the concern that's been unearthed like this. And they make you pay the tax on it, and plus they put on a penalty and interest for not paying it for the period in which they're auditing you for. Because this is the Trump organization, and it's Donald Trump, this is being blown up, and it is little more than Donald Trump's favorite word, a witch hunt. I'm just saying. So on that famous well-watched, millions of people looking in, CNN broadcast, Allison Camarado, 
who got kicked away from CNN's, got kicked off their morning show because the ratings were so bad and they stuck her somewhere in the afternoon. She had Michael Cohen on yesterday. Michael Cohen. Trump's former personal lawyer. Cohen said this, I won't discuss my conversations with the district attorney out of respect for the investigation. All I can say is yes, there are a multitude of documents that are in the possession of prosecutors that tie Donald Trump to everything because everything went through Donald. He wasn't through. He continued. I don't know how many more times I could possibly say the same thing. You know, every single thing, whether it was the acquisition of paper clips, light bulbs, furniture, mattresses, you name it. Alan Weisselberg's kids' payments, rent, everything would have a Donald signature on it or his initial, and that included. There are other people at the Trump Organization who received these same sorts of perks that Alan Weisselberg did, including the chief operating officer, Matthew Calamari. There's so many people who got these types of benefits. question is, how did they treat it on their taxes? And why is that it was done, and how is it that it was done and booked by the Trump Organization? Ooh. That from Michael Cohen, who was a proven perjurer, perjurer in court. He wasn't through. Allison Camerata asked Cohen, there were other people mentions, other employees, and it sounded like it goes beyond Alan Weisselberg. Do you think this is bigger than Weisselberg? Who do you think is next to be indicted? Here's what Cohen said. Well, I think Matthew Calamari is on the chopping block as well. He received the same type of perks. He received the same perks and benefits that Alan Weisselberg got. On top of that, I believe... There are other members of the Trump Organization, including the children, who are next to come up onto these indictments. Camerata, you don't mean Alan Weisselberg's children. You mean Eric and Don Jr. and Ivanka? Cohen said, correct. Allison, what do you think they would be indicted for? Cohen said, Again, their participation in different aspects of the company, how they ended up booking things for tax purposes, the benefits they took and received. Again, I don't want people to think that this case is about Weisselberg and an apartment and a free car and so on. It is substantially larger in scope than just that. That is but the tip. That's the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more that's going to be coming out. And, of course, this is Michael Cohen, who was in jail. He was Trump's personal attorney. If I was a betting man, I'd say I'll bet you $100 if they looked into the financial dealings of, let's say, Michael Cohen regarding his clients, regarding, let's say, the Trump Organization and Donald Trump, and look at his financial dealings with just the Trump folks. I will bet you they would find some perks that Cohen got that he did not claim on his business or personal tax return. I don't know anything. I guess I could do what they do and float it out there as they have done for months now about what happened yesterday. Arrests are pending. People are going to be indicted by the dozens. It's going to happen and people are going to jail. 
And by the way, Weisselberg surrendered himself to accept that indictment in person. And as soon as he did, they handcuffed his hands behind his back. Think about that. I always thought this is the United States of America where everybody that is accused is innocent until proven guilty of a crime that they're charged with. Just saying, just pointing that out. Meanwhile, you want to look at a real illegality? An accused illegal alien, serial killer. And when I say serial killer, I mean really a serial killer. He's going to get away without having to face the death penalty in the murder trial against him in Dallas County, Texas. The DA there announced his office is not going to seek the death penalty against Billy Chamirmir, an illegal alien from Kenya, who's accused of committing murder, folks. The murder of not one, not two, not three, not five, not ten, not fifteen, not twenty, but twenty-four elderly Americans in Texas in two years from April 2016 to 2018. The DA said prosecutors instead are going to get looking to get life in prison while only pursuing two of the 18 capital murder charges against him should they win the cases. Now listen to this. I'm going to read the list of the names and the ages of the 24 alleged victims. And I want you to notice who they are and what types of person they are. Leah Corkin. 83 years old. Juanita Purdy, 82. Mary Brooks, 88. Minnie Campbell, 84. Ann Conklin, 82. Rosemary Curtis, 75. Norma French, 85. Doris Gleason, 92. Luthie Harris, 81. Carolyn McPhee, 81. Miriam Nelson, 81. Phyllis Payne, 91. Phoebe Perry was 94. And it goes on and on and on. What's the commonality there? Elderly, can't defend themselves, people. Now, Jameer Mayer first arrived in the U.S. on a tourist visa back in 2003. Though he was supposed to be here temporarily, he stayed past the deadline, the expiration of his visa, and doing so, he became an illegal alien. And that means he's eligible for deportation. Well, rather than being deported, Jameer Mayer was able to use a loophole in the nation's legal immigration system, allowing him to get a green card because he married an American citizen. In November of 2007, he was approved for a green card. He had a criminal record already, including convictions for drunk driving, trespassing, assault, and obstructing justice, obstructing a police officer. He's currently being held in the Dallas County Jail. Now, you put that in the context of the previous story about the CFO of the Trump Organization. I just got to say this. I'm beginning every day now to wonder, do we really live in a nation where there is equal justice under the law? 
Now, folks will say, you know, this guy, Weisselmer, he's obviously a wealthy guy, makes good money. He's working, making big dollars for the Trump organization. You know, so he's one of those snooty Manhattan folks. He deserves to get everything that's thrown up against him. But then you look at the likes of, oh, Hillary Clinton, James Comey, and that's just listing a few. People that commit felonies, multiple felonies, federal felonies, and hold very, very high positions in government. Government's supposed to contain and be occupied by people that work for the government that are of the highest caliber, that are far above the likes of this murderer from Dallas County, Texas. And Weisselman. I mean, he's working for a private entity. You know, he's not working for the government. Hillary Clinton was caught in multiple felonies, proven, not even alleged, multiple felonies. James Comey bragged about his felonies. And they're not even arrested, not even indicted. There was no grand jury to have a conversation about it. All this boils down to, folks, it's no longer about if you're politically connected, you can get away with anything. That's not the case any longer. If you're politically connected and you're politically connected to the party that manipulates the justice system at both the federal and the state level in the country, then you're in a good place. You can get away with anything. This guy murdered 24 people. And I know life in prison is a horrible thing. No question about it. But think about the family members of those 24 80-plus-year-olds, even a couple of 90-plus-year-old grandmas and grandpas that he killed. It, it just boggles my mind. I don't understand how this could happen. Have you heard the story about what's going on elsewhere in New York, like in Albany? The Judiciary Committee of the New York Assembly up in Albany they're just about to issue subpoenas as part of an impeachment investigation into the governor, Andrew Cuomo. State Assemblyman Charles Levine, who's a Democrat who chairs the body's Judiciary Committee, he's been named as the head of the panel that's going to conduct the impeachment investigation. And at the end of a meeting in Albany, he said the committee is going to issue subpoenas for documents and sworn statements from witnesses to corroborate existing evidence they already have. The purpose of this is to both gather substantive evidence as well as to assess the credibility and corroborate information learning that we learned during interviews. And they've been looking into this since mid-March. Allegations against Cuomo of sexual misconduct. At least 10 women have come forward to name the embattled governor for various sexual wrongdoing. Cuomo, by the way, is also being probed over allegations that he directed his staff to illegally withhold and to misrepresent data and information regarding the number of COVID nursing home resident deaths and whether he directed or had knowledge of executive personnel withholding that information regarding safety concerns with bridges in the states. In other words, everything he's supposed to be over and be responsible for 
He covered it up. He did the wrong things. He said the wrong things. He told people to do the wrong things. And then he covered it up. You know that old saying, when you do something wrong, that's bad enough. But when you lie about it to cover it up, that makes it even worse. And what is so shocking about this entire thing, he held a secret fundraiser. I think it was earlier this week. It may have been last weekend. I'm not sure. But they wouldn't even release the site of where they were having it. It was a private, contributor-only dinner, $1,700 a plate. And they had over 1,000 people there. Do the math. And he wants to be governor again. And he, of course, and far, far more people than I can even imagine believe that he should be governor again. More coming right after this. Welcome aboard Pizza Hut, where our legendary pan and stuffed crust pizzas will fly you to a world of flavors. Taste an all-American pizza sauce, juicy pepperoni, and farm-fresh mozzarella to discover America's mega pepperoni. Or explore the creamy pesto sauce, chicken and mushrooms, and the French creamy chicken mushroom. Fly far above the rest in taste and variety with five new pizzas. And thank you for flying Pizza Hut. of a beautiful song lingers on and on. Léa du Temps perfume, the classic French fragrance that you can wear anywhere, anytime, makes you unforgettable. Léa du Temps perfume by Nina Ricci. A divorce lawyer should be more than just a lawyer. Divorce is like no other experience, especially for guys. At Cordell and Cordell, our clients want a partner standing next to them. Someone they can trust. Someone who understands where they are and how to get them out. We are the attorneys of Cordell and Cordell. We are advisors and advocates for men before, during, and after divorce. We are Cordell and Cordell. A partner men can count on. To schedule your appointment, give us a call or visit us online at CordellCordell.com. Nowadays, it's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar, or three, or four, or five, or even six. New Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your bucks. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium-hot coffee for $3. A bagel with cream cheese spread and a medium-hot coffee for $4. A bacon, egg, and cheese croissant with a medium-hot coffee for $5. Or a power breakfast sandwich and, you guessed it, a medium-hot coffee for $6. Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusions apply. Limited time offer. I hope you're planning a wonderful July 4th weekend get-together. You know, Joe Biden, he told us right after he took the oath of office, he actually said, you know what, if y'all listen to me, if you listen to the experts and you uh, socially distance, you wear a mask, uh, and of course you get the vaccine, if we do all of those things, you might be able to, don't know for sure, but you might be able to have an outdoor barbecue where you and a few of your family members can sit around and share barbecue together for our Independence Day. That just made me feel so warm and fuzzy to hear him say that. 
because I knew he was the guy that was going to kill the COVID virus. What a great leader. I mean, look at all the good things that have happened. Yesterday, his Commerce Secretary, Gina Raimondo, during an interview on CNBC's Closing Bell, she said it's difficult to tell if generous unemployment benefits are hurting labor market growth. I mean, what an amazing admission. I mean, look, we went through COVID-19. It was government instigated. People didn't shut down. You realize that, don't you? Businesses didn't shut down. Governors, with the urging of the federal government, shut our nation down, closed companies, put people out of work, and left them out of work for months and months. And then instead of letting them go back to work, when it was finally figured out, some of the fundamentals about dealing with COVID-19 would be effective. As Dr. Fleming said earlier, simple things like washing your hands, not sneezing, not going out if you're sick, stay away from other people. That wasn't good enough for this administration. That wasn't good enough for the political weaponization of something to use against your political foes. So they kept us locked down, people out of work. And then when finally they decided it was time Now what we're going to do is we're going to make people out there dependent on us. We're going to keep them unemployed, keep them not able to work, and we're going to send them money, taxpayer money that we don't have, but we're going to send them money so much that they'll be able, along with the combination of their state unemployment benefits and the bennies that we're going to give to them, they'll in some cases make a few hundred dollars a week more than they were making when they worked 40 hours a week. And so all of the states begin to open up. Businesses, we're back in business. Everybody can do everything. Of course, states like Texas and Florida had done it from the very beginning. Our schools here have been open for this entire school year. In fact, some of our schools never closed. They went into virtual learning for a while, but then they went right back to in-person teaching and in-person education with kids and teachers and all that kind of stuff. But they did the smart thing. They socially distanced. They wore masks. They were careful. And it worked. Go figure. So the only reason anybody with a reasonable mind can say the government used to justify doing what they've done and are still doing is because they don't want business to come back the way it was during the four years of the Trump administration when we had the best economy in U.S. history, where more people were employed by far than any other time in U.S. history, where minorities, more minority people came off of welfare and got jobs and went into the employee entity in the United States because they were working. Poverty declined. All of these economic things were pointing in the right direction. Cost went down. Inflation plummeted. Manufacturing went up. Payrolls went up. People were having a great time in their lives financially that spread across their entire lives. That was unacceptable to the left. 
And so they took it away. Now, we were all screaming, it's going to be hard to get these companies to come back. They won't be able to get workers as long as you're paying people to stay home. And they said, there's no proof of that. There's no proof of that. These people are scared to death because of COVID. They don't want to go back and put themselves in danger. Secretary Raimondo said that it's difficult to tell if these generous unemployment benefits are hurting our labor market growth. But the main issue is a lot of jobs that folks lost are the kind of jobs that might not be coming back or might not be coming back in the same numbers. It's hard to tell in the data, she said, whether unemployment benefits are slowly slowing growth in the labor market. Still the biggest reason people aren't going back to work is that they're afraid. There's their trump card. Fear. Afraid. They use that in every case. And got to be honest with you, a bunch of people are scared to death because they've been instilled by fear from leaders in this country. The left have been standing up screaming and hollering And they holler at Americans, don't get out, don't go anywhere, stay locked up, we're going to send you money. And they laughed at Donald Trump, who from the very beginning said, hey, we're not going in the tank, this is going to be a short-lived thing, this is the United States of America, we know how to take care of these issues. And they shamed him openly, they called him crazy, a nut job, he wanted people to die. And today we're looking at the exact same picture he forecasted we would be looking at today because we believed Dr. Anthony Fauci. Where is Tony, by the way? I mean, for months, folks, for a year plus, year and a half almost, we see him every day on some uh, interview, some news show here or there, standing in the White House press briefing room for a press conference regarding the COVID task force that he headed for the president. And he still, Joe Biden says, is his COVID guy. Where has he been? You hadn't seen him in front of a camera in days. He's hiding because he's being exposed. And I tell you what, folks, I'm going to make a prediction now. He's facing potential criminal investigation into his actions. First of all, he lied under oath. That's been proven before the U.S. Congress. And, of course, if you're a Democrat, that really doesn't matter because if you're a Democrat and you lie, you perjure yourself in the front of a congressional committee, they don't ever do anything to you. Only if you're a Republican do they take action. That's that equal justice under the law thing they say they uh, they believe in. So, speaking about truths and lies, the latest. The latest on the Biden family syndicate. Pictures that showed up yesterday cast some new doubts on the president's adamant claims. I never spoke to my son about his foreign business dealings, Hunter. Well, one of the pictures shows Biden next to a Mexican billionaire named Carlos Slim with Hunter off to the side. Two other executives are in the frame along with Hunter's associate. According to the New York Post, which published these photos, Hunter is an associates were working at the time on several big energy deals in Latin America and also in Mexico. The pictures were from Hunter's laptop and were provided by Robert Costello, who's an attorney for Rudy Giuliani. Giuliani was given the hard drive, one of the copies of the hard drive of 
Hunter Biden's laptop. A timestamp shows the pictures were taken November 19th, 2015. What's the significance of that? Well, Joe was the vice president of the United States. The timestamp also coincides with the scheduled 8.30 morning breakfast with Dad, according to an email from the hard drive, an apparent reference to the U.S. Naval Academy, which is the VP's residence. And an email sent the following day by Eric Schwerin of Hunter Biden's firm Rosemont Seneca shows a a Politico playbook headline that corroborates Carlos Slim being in Washington that day. With an article that was headlined, Spotted, Carlos Slim in the lobby yesterday morning of the Georgetown Four Seasons. Several of the high-powered foreign folks in the picture were already familiar to the president, having been involved in politics that obviously intersected with our American interests in their countries. What's unclear is that Hunter was trying to capitalize on the existing relationships or making new introductions. Well, you can't know that, Dan. No, folks. There are texts and emails that verify that very thing. So this went out from Hunter. Sure, if there's time on his schedule and he's back in Washington, they're both being invited to the holiday party at NAVOBS, which is a Naval Observatory, on December 10th. That's where Biden lives. But it would be a nice gesture. I'll check with the VP's office to see when he gets back from being on the road. And then, should we try for coffee with dad. And that's from Hunter. You, you just can't make this stuff up, folks. The president lied, obviously. Bob Alinsky, who was Hunter Biden's, one of his partners in this whole thing, he testified to the FBI and gave them all the information, the same information and much more. Nothing's been done with it. But it proves that Biden is up to his neck in a lot of the foreign dealings by his son. But remember, remember, Biden said he's never talked to his son about any of his foreign business dealings. He lied about that in Ukraine. It became public knowledge, information, conversations, text, emails. Biden talked to him about Ukrainian Involvement by Hunter and that company over there, that big energy company. He talked to him a bunch, even negotiated deals. Joe Biden was on the company's website. (laughs) As Nancy Pelosi was too, by the way. Have you noticed the big bonuses that are being dangled before people's eyes? I mean, big bonuses. Illinois gave away a bunch of money to um, kind of in a lottery thing. So did Ohio. Now Michigan is pushing its residents to get vaccinated. And the apple they're dangling is $5 million. Governor Gretchen Whitmer's launched a program that offers cash to residents in the state who have been or will be vaccinated against the virus. Why are they doing this? They say it's to motivate those who've not yet done so. 
and in doing so achieved the vaccination rates announced by the government as safe to normalize economic and social life in the state. And they tie, they got a name for it. They call it the shot, excuse me, the my shot to win sweepstakes. And they even have an agency that handles the whole thing. It's going to give away a cumulative total of more than $5 million bucks, broken down into smaller daily drawings and two big monthly prizes. The daily drawings for $50,000 are going to run for 30 days. Winners must have received their first dose by the date linked to the drawing to be eligible to get the prize. Additionally, the drawing is going to award nine college scholarships to residents ages 12 to 17 who were vaccinated between December 1 and July 30th. Now, let me tell you, if you win one of those scholarships or your dad or mom wins one of those scholarships, make sure you tell mom and dad, hey, whatever the value is of that, make sure you put it on your income tax return because we don't want to get handled like Donald Trump's CFO. We don't want to get indicted because you didn't report that as income. Seriously, that's exactly what's happening. Have you wondered about the leftist media's darling all through the Trump presidency? I'm talking about CNN's Jim Acosta. You hardly see him anymore. Well, he asked a stupid question and got booed from a crowd that was gathered around President Trump during that tour on Wednesday of this week down at the southern border. When Trump was about to finish his speech near a section of the border wall, Acosta, knowing the cameras were there, he interrupted the president and shouted, Will you apologize about January 6th? January 6th, of course, Acosta's talking about the Capitol riot in June that Democrats have sought to blame Trump for instigating. As Trump always does, almost always did with Jim Acosta, he ignored the question. But several people in the crowd, most of them GOP congressional members and staffers, shouted back, No, at Acosta. Then some began to boo the CNN reporter loudly, sharing a tweet from town hall reporter Julio Rosas. Acosta gets booed by GOP congressional members after shouting to Trump if he will apologize for January 6th at the conclusion of his speech by the border wall. So following the crowd, Trump smirked and gave a thumbs up. And with no embarrassment at all, Acosta boasted about what made him a fool on Twitter. He tweeted this, At border event with Trump and Abbott, I asked Trump if he's going to apologize for January 6th. He did not respond. Crowd of mostly GOP members and staff booed. Now, the, the only purpose Acosta could have for wording that that way, he makes it sound like the crowd of mostly GOP members and staff booed Donald Trump. <laughs> oh, my gosh trying to be in the limelight, trying to be bigger and better than you really are. That's kind of a trait that we see. It's pretty prevalent in our government today. Have you heard about, regarding January 6th, that select committee for this January 6th investigation? Well, Nancy, she got excited yesterday at the podium announcing who the members on that committee were. We can't let you go today without hearing Nancy. She's got a microphone, folks. She's deadly. Yesterday, we saw patriotism on display in the House when it passed uh, the, uh, the 
legislation to establish a select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the Capitol. It's been our hope, all of us, our hope uh, and our, the work of our distinguished chairman, Mr. Benny Thompson, uh, for us to have been able to have a bipartisan commission passed in the House in a bipartisan way. It got a majority vote in the Senate in a bipartisan way, but it did not get the 60 votes. They asked for another week, another week, another week, another week, and at the end of last week said, we can't do this until 2023. So we can't wait that long. Then we went right into motion to establish the select committee. As you can see, I am very proud to be able to announce the members of that committee this morning. Uh, our chairman will be Benny Thompson. Uh, he's chair of the Homeland Security Committee, and he negotiated the bipartisan commission, and we thank him for his leadership. Chair Zoe Lofgren, House Administration Committee, which is having key hearings as a committee of jurisdiction for the safety uh, of the Capitol. Uh, the intelligence being very important to this chair, uh, Adam Schiff of the Intelligence Committee. Uh, Pete Aguilar, House Appropriations Committee, that is a committee of jurisdiction uh, for this, as well as being a member of the House Administration Committee. Um, I'm saying this in, in uh, seniority order. Congresswoman Liz Cheney. I, I, I just can't take her anymore. Anyway, she was bragging because Liz Cheney agreed to be on that committee, the only Republican there. Hey, that's a wrap for today, folks. You're going to have a great weekend. You really are. July 4th, great celebration. Be with family and friends and enjoy it. Don't forget this show in its entirety will be up at Apple iTunes podcast and also Spotify in just a bit after we get off the air. And we're going to put Dr. Fleming's interview with us. We're going to make that a separate podcast so you'll be able to access it. We're all getting older, folks. July coming up, a birthday on the way for me. 68 is where I'm headed. 68. I'm going to join my wife there. But when you get old, folks, don't let the old man or old woman come in. Great advice. Don't let the old man in. I won't live it some more. Can't leave it up to him. He's knocking on my door. I knew all of my life That someday it would end Get up and go outside Don't let the old man in Many months I have lived My body's weathered and Ask yourself, how would you be if you didn't know the day you were born? Try to love on your wife and stay close to your friends. Toast each sundown with wine. Don't let the old man.
moons I have lived My body's weathered and worn Ask yourself how would you be If you didn't know the day you were born When he rides up on his horse And you feel that cold bitter Look out your window and smile Don't let the old man in Look out your window and smile